Hi everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much for all of you who have been listening to these podcasts. I am beyond blessed to be able to minister and since 2016 we've uploaded about 131 episodes between sermons and interviews and this has been nothing but a blessing and God has grown my faith and my hope is that God has grown your faith through all these podcast episodes and I want to ask you if you could do something for me. I would love for you to reach out to me and let me know how this podcast podcast has made a difference in your life. If you want to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would mean so much to me, primarily because this is a way for other people to find out about this podcast. So if you could do that, I would really, really appreciate it. But even if you can't, I am very, very thankful for the time that you choose to download and listen. Maybe I don't know every single one of you, but I look forward to one day maybe meeting you at some conference or so on. So thank you so much again, and God bless you and enjoy the message. Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. The Word of God is weighty. And we spent the last two chapters on talking about how we are as Christians to walk in the light. And this, this whole chapter, chapter three, is all on how we are God's children and how God loves us. And he starts out by saying that, see what kind of love the Father has. In a different translation here says that he lavished on us his love, right? And that we are his children. Um, I remember my first year of college, um, I was going through a really rough time, and I decided to go talk to the dean of college um, and just kind of see, I, I sort of decided not to be a Christian anymore. Um, so I went to his office, and I started to complain. You know what, those moments where you just need someone to complain to? Um, you're, not, you're not necessarily listening for their advice or anything, but you just want to complain and complain. You've had those. I know you're pretending you haven't, but we all have those moments. So I went and started complaining. I said, okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. I don't think that God cares about me. I don't think that. And he looks at me. He says, Slavic, all that you have to know is that the Lord loves you and that he cares about you. And at this moment, I'm thinking like, I'm kind of feeling a little bit insulted. Like, I know this. I grew up with this. I preach this. And you're telling me that Jesus loves you? And he looks at me. He says, I don't think you really realize what that means. And I'm like, okay. All right, I grew up listening to this. and says, well, you have to understand, it's one thing to say that someone in the Middle East that you don't know that lived 2,000 years ago loves you. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the God of the universe, the God who created all the galaxies and everything that's in the, the depth of the ocean. That God loves you. He says, think about this. If you were a governor in Washington, and someone is, is trying to tell you, they're, they're criticizing you, and they're trying to literally destroy your career. If you have the backing of the president, you don't care about all the other people that are trying to destroy you. He says, but you don't understand. When, when I say that God loves you, the most powerful office in the universe, that God loves you. And once you understand that, that he loves you, then you're no longer defined by what people say about you, but the circumstances that you're finding yourself in. When you realize that you are a son of the living God, you realize pretty quickly that, that you have a most powerful office in your corner. So you don't have to go day to day being fearful and lonely. You 
are a son of the, of the living God. Now, there's a passage in New Testament where Apostle Paul talks about how a slave and a son living in the same house, they might have the same chores, but one of them is the son. One of them has an inheritance. One of them can have a confidence that they are the son. So what he was saying to me is, you're not a slave. You're not an orphan. You are a son. And it took me a while to, to kind of like understand, and I'm hoping that maybe tonight you'll, fool, you'll, you'll, you'll sort of grasp how important this is. You see, today, when you sing in worship and everyone here is on their best behavior because they're in church, like this is, this is great, right? But the moment you get in traffic tomorrow morning where you get to your work and somebody's complaining to you, the moment the real you starts to spill out, that's the moment when the real who you are comes out, right? And, and, and uh, I look at my own commitment to the Lord, and one day I wake up in the morning, I'm like, let's do this. I'm looking forward to be an inspiration to all those who are around me, and I want to change the world. And sometimes I wake up and I don't like people, right? So my commitment to the call of God in my life is, is sort of up, depends how I feel. And I notice how many times I make so many decisions based on how I feel in the moment, not necessarily on what is the time-tested truth of God's word. No, I go by my feelings. If I'm tired, I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, when you're hungry and, and you're tired, you're kind of hangry because you're angry and you're hungry at the same time, right? And the Snickers bars don't fix it. But like, you know what I'm talking about? Like where you have those moments where you're so prone to the, the way you're feeling. Uh, there's, a, the, there's a saying that says the tyranny of the moment where, you know, that's how you feel right now. And, and, and it, it just overwhelms you. Right? And the one day you, you are so committed to following the Lord. And the next day you're like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Right? And I, I heard the story of, of, Back in the day when they used to have ships that would sail from, you know, from one continent to another, and they were made out of wood, and, and then when they would hit a storm, you know, people on, the, on, on board, they would throw up, they would have a really rough time being, because, you know, these things are not designed like, you know, the, the, the modern-day ships, and they would have a really hard time on the sea. So the captain would always say that if you don't want to get sick, look at the horizon, because the horizon is constant. The waves are up and down. Also, when they would navigate, they would not navigate by the which, which wave is the biggest. They would navigate based on the compass, based on the stars, based on land, based on maps, things that are somewhat constant. Right? Because imagine if, if the captain decided to write, okay, well, that wave, wave looks, looks pretty big. Let's write that one. You'd be shipwrecked pretty quickly. So they had to make decisions based on things that are constant. So if you wake up in the morning and you make decisions based on how you feel, it's literally like making decisions based on the waves that you're trying to ride. But if you make decisions based on his love towards you, not your love towards him, but his love towards you, his love towards us is constant. Is the horizon, the land, the compass. His love towards us never fails. So if I start loving people based on how I feel, well, if I feel great, I'm loving you today. But if I don't feel great, I'm not loving you today. As a matter of fact, I'm actually going to be extremely nasty to you. 
But if you switch that around and say, you know, I love people because what? Because he first loved me. Because I am a son of the living God. And he cares for me. Now, I don't know if you've, if you, I don't know what, what upbringing you had, but I bet you anything, if you were brought up as the, <laughs> as the kid of the head of state, be it, uh, you know, our president or somebody else's, right? Like, then you, there's a level of confidence that comes with, I am, I am the son of the president. But if your dad was someone who was experiencing homelessness and is addicted to a certain, you know, drug, right? There would be sort of, there wouldn't be much confidence. You would, you would have a hard time trying to find your way in the world as a, as a kid to a father like that, right? So, so who our family is and who our father is, it gives us a level of confidence or lack thereof, right? So when we understand that we are a son in the house of, of, of God, there is a confidence that comes with that. Now, I know that the, 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 the world and the culture always says, well, we're all God's children. That is not true. I know what they mean when people say, oh, all of us, all humanity is God's children. That is not true. Right? Because John, in his, in his gospel, he talks about how to those who believed unto Jesus, he gave the right to be called children of God. So not everyone is a child of God. Now, I know what they mean. What they mean to say is we are children of God by, by virtue of uh, we, were, we, were, we were creating God's image, right? So that's what they mean is, okay, well, we're creating God's image. And that's true. Every human being is creating God's image. But not every human being is God's child because Apostle Paul says to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become sons and daughters. And this is where he writes this letter. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He goes on to say, beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And you're like, that flew over my head, right? Like, it's a lot in this verse. He says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be one day, right, it has not appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him for who he is or because we shall see him as he is. So what does this mean? Well, the glorified form of who you are as a human being, that will happen when we get to see him. There's a verse in first, uh, second, um, in Second Corinthians 3.18, and we are told this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we are told that as we behold Jesus, we are being transformed into his image daily from one degree to another. So it's a small, it's a small transformation. It's not a huge transformation. So this side of eternity, what's happening is the moment you gave your life to Jesus and you've committed to following him, he has adopted you into his family. You became a child of his. But that does not mean that 
every single thing that you struggled with, now somehow your life is perfect. It does not mean that. Even as a son, you will struggle. You will struggle with sin. You will struggle with difficulties. Jesus himself had a pretty rough time here on earth. But here we are told that as we behold him, we, in theology we have this long word, basically means that we're constantly changing to become like him. It's called sanctification. This process of we became part of his family. Now, you know, I always try to speculate, okay, why? If God knew that we would fall, if we would fall, if God knew that, that we would, humanity would plunge itself into sin, why would God allow that to happen? Have you ever thought about that? And if he knew that he's going to save everyone, why doesn't God just save everyone right away? Why the pain? Why the hurt? Why the destruction? Why the hunger? Why, why is this? What's the point of all of this? Well, I think, and this is a little bit of speculating, so this is not, you know, just take it for what it is. But when God created you, he created you as a creature. But when you encounter the Lord and he's changing you, he adopts you into his family as a redeemed son. If you ever read the story of Pinocchio, you know the story of a wooden boy who became a real boy. I wonder where they got that idea from. But the idea there is that there is this carpenter who makes a doll made out of wood and, you know, this fairy comes and, 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 and basically uh, causes this, this kid to, every single time he tells a lie, to, to the, the nose to grow, right? And you can go study the whole story on your own. But the whole point that I'm trying to illustrate is here you have a carpenter who makes a thing out of wood, and at some point it becomes a real boy. Just, that's the illustration, okay? When we were created at the beginning is we were creatures, but when Jesus died for us, God redeems us and adopts us into his family. And we are becoming part of his family. What a privilege that is. Don't dwell too much on Pinocchio. I'm just telling you. Just think of that as illustration. Creature to becoming a son. Someone who is part of the family. And we are told we are his child. We are his children now. We are, are called out of darkness into light. And because we are his children, now we will change. We will become like him from one degree to another daily. Now, a lot of you, maybe that you've been walking with the Lord for five, 10 years, and you're like, man, nothing's changing. Like I'm struggling still with the same things. Uh, what's going on? It's kind of like if you're to go to some tree or a flower and you're like, okay, I'm looking at it and it's doing nothing. It's not growing. Because you don't see it. But on the microscopic level, the kind of the biological processes of that plant is, is, is changing that plant and it's growing. And then you come back half a year and you're like, oh, that's a big plant. That's a big tree. That's a big flower. So same thing with you here. You might think that you're not changing. Now, of course, if there's evidence that you're not changing, then maybe you should wonder if you're saved or not. I know that's a big discussion in itself. But I want to tell you that if you are asking that question, am I changing? Lord, are you pleased with me? That tells me that there's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean that's not happening. 
You might not be where you want to be spiritually, but you're also not where you used to be. And if you have seen a growth in your life, if today you are more like Christ than you were five years ago, then God is changing you from one degree of glory into another. It's a slow process. You might not see it, but God is doing that. So so I'm asking you to trust him on this. He's slowly changing you. Now, I remember, if you guys remember that story of Moses, Moses is called to lead the, the, the children of Israel out of you know, a, 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 a place of slavery and to a place of desolation, the desert, and then into the promised land. Remember that? And Moses gets really frustrated because one time he spends a lot of time on the top of the mountains and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And while he's coming down, excited that God gave us the law, he sees that his friends and the, the old people of Israel, they are literally worshiping a cow made out of gold. So he gets angry. He just breaks the Ten Commandments. And he asks Aaron, which is another priest, and he goes, what happened? And Aaron's, <laughs> Aaron's response is like the funniest because he goes, I don't know. We just got gold. We threw it in the fire and the cow came out. Like, literally, that's his response. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. Like, you thought about this. You designed that cow. Then you installed it, right? So when God calls you on your sin, you're like, I don't know. It just happened. Just like something happened, and then just, like, there's a cow. All of us are worshiping a cow now, right? And and, in his anger, Moses just breaks the Ten Commandments, and he's just having a moment of uh, very ungodliness. Um, But then God says, I am angry with the people, I won't go with you. I will send an angel to go. And Moses says, listen, if you're not coming with us, don't send us from up here. I want nothing to do with, with uh, a people. If you're not coming with us, then how would anybody know that you're, we are yours? And God says to Moses, Moses, what do you want me to do? Look, imagine God asking you this, giving you sort of a blank check. You're going to find the story in Exodus 32 to 34 around that. Imagine if God gave you a blank check. What do you want me to do? I don't know. If I was Moses, it'd be like, I don't know, 747 to move everyone <laughs> over the desert so I don't have, maybe air conditioning. I mean, that could, that could work. But that's not what Moses' response. I know they didn't have air conditioning on 747s back then, but you get the point, right? Like, I would want God to just move these people through the desert as soon as possible and not have to deal with any of these. But that's not what Moses says. Moses looks at God and says, God, what I want from you is for you to show me your glory. God, show me who you are. Show me your goodness. And God says, I, I, I'll, I'll do that. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to pass by. And you can't see my face, but you can see the back of me. And says that that's exactly what happens. And when Moses came down from this encounter with God, his whole face changed. They had to put a veil over his face because the glory of God was radiating from his face. And this time, when he brought the Ten Commandments, he didn't break them. But because he spent time in God's presence, his whole complexion, complexion was changed, but also his heart was changed. And this is where, when we read this in 2 Corinthians, he talks about this story, and he tells us that, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what transforms a person? 
is not our self-help. No, self-help is great, but what really transforms a Christian is spending time in God's presence. And as we behold his glory, God is changing us daily from one degree to another. That is the, the idea behind this, is that as we spend time in God's house, as God's children, God is changing us, even when you don't see it. He's making you more kind, more loving, more, more, more empowered daily. And my hope as a church that we, we would understand this, that, that God is changing you. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that's not happening. You're struggling, but you're struggling as a son and as a daughter of the Almost High, and you have God. As long as you profess, if you receive Jesus, you became part of his family. You're adopted into the family. And we are told here that, you know, and back to our passage that says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be one day has not yet appeared. But what we know uh, but, but we know that when, we, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So what he's saying here is right now, through this process of sanctification, we're taking steps by steps by steps to become more and more like Christ. But the moment we see Christ, in an instant, we'll be changed and we'll be exactly like him. That's the ultimate thing that, that every single Christian will experience when he resurrects you and me if we don't see him before we die or if we see him after we die, he will resurrect and then you'll be changed and you'll get a new, new body. You'll get a glorified body. Now, will people who don't know the Lord get a glorified body? We don't really know that for sure, but just like we will get a glorified body just for the place we will be in God's presence, the people who don't know Jesus will get a body designed for the place they will be at. And that's a scary thought to think about. Will we know each other in heaven? I love how C.S. Uh, Spurgeon, um, uh, Spurgeon says this. <laughs> He's like, people, people are like wondering, um, I don't think it's C.S. Spurgeon, I think it's Spurgeon. Um, I don't remember his initials. But he says that to this question, the answer to this question, will we know each other in heaven? He says, do you think we're going to be more stupid than we are now? Obviously not. So we, if we know each other now, we will know each other in heaven. That is the awesome thing about, about our moment when we see him. We don't know yet full how we're going to be, but when we see him, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. So this amazing moment that we have of transformation. Now, if you read, I think Mark 9 talks about the transformation, like the, 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 the transformation at the top of the mountain, right, where Jesus is taking three of his friends. He goes to the top of the mountain, and there he is talking to Elijah. He's talking to Moses. Imagine this. They, we knew who, who they were. So we knew that that was Moses and that was Elijah. So we know that after, after death, we will know each other. When we are resurrected, we will know each other. Not only that, that we see that when Jesus was transfigured, that he started to shine. And, you know, this 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 veil was torn and people were able to see Jesus for who he really is. Now we know that um, Peter still went on and he denied Jesus because he still lives in this body on this earth. But he uh, and, and also John writes about this moment and says, we saw him being transfigured and changed 
What an amazing day we will have when we get to see him. So we are his children who are, ch- who are changing daily from one degree of glory to another. But on the day that we get to see him, we will be completely transformed and we will be like him because we will see him for who he is. Now, the next passage talks about how if you are in Christ, you will make it a priority to purify yourself. He says, and everyone who does hopes, verse 3, in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And people are like, but I sinned this morning. Just wait, right? Like, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning, cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. But this is evident who are the children of God. By this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So I know this is life back and forth, but the idea here is that those who are in Christ don't make a lifestyle practice of sinning. What does that mean? What is practicing sinning? Well, if you ever practice for any sport, if you practice for baseball, basketball, football why do you practice to get good at it it's just what it is practice makes perfect right now some people might disagree with that but this cliche that we have that the more you practice something the better you get at it the unfortunate thing is when you practice something normally when we talk about practicing we're thinking in the positive context but also if you keep on practicing sin guess what you get good at sinning When you put an effort into practicing sin, then you become good at sinning or being bad at sinning, or I would say good at sinning, which is bad. There you go. There's that. Right? What does that look like? What that looks like, somebody getting good at cunning other people or scamming other people. Somebody getting really good at manipulating other people. And they actually have it as a priority for them to engage in manipulation, to engage in scamming, to engage in oppressing others, to engage in being nasty to other people. If you try to get good at sinning by your behavior, the, 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 the passage here tells us that you're not of God. This, is, this passage is not talking about, oh, you got angry this morning. Now, of course, but if you are seeking to constantly get angry, which doesn't really happen that much, we don't necessarily want to get good at getting angry. But if you're if you're running a company and you're like you're embezzling funds and, and you get good at lying and you don't care, you should wonder, is the Holy Spirit active in your life? Because if the Holy Spirit would be active in your life, he would convict you. You wouldn't be doing this. I know that this is kind of almost flipped on, on its head, but 
Don't practice to be good at sin. Practice at being Christ-like. Practice on loving, even when you're not, you don't feel like being loving. Practice on, on doing the right things, even if, when you don't feel like it. Right? Because the alternative is just really, really bad. Now, there's a verse that it's get, gets quoted a lot with this passage, and you've got to find it in Hebrews chapter 10. And that place talks about how, you know, if you, let me pull it up really quick. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, verse 26 says this, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for the sins, but a a fearful expectation of the judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So people look at this and says, oh, I keep on sinning. So because I keep on sinning, that means that, oh, this is bad news. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for us. And we're like, wait, so if, if I keep on sinning, that means there's no sacrifice for me? That means that I cannot be... And people quote this out of context, but you have to understand the context of Hebrews. The first 10 chapters of Hebrews is dealing with people who are Hebrews. People who were so ingrained in their Old Testament beliefs about the temple and the sacrifices. And here Jesus is calling them to a new way of following God, a new covenant. And this passage is talking about the sin of unbelief, where they would rely back to what they had in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. So all of that to say this, that when we see these passages, what this is talking about is there's no sacrifice left for the people who have turned their back on on Jesus and the work of the cross. I've mentioned this last Sunday, but people who, you know, are wondering, did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is to turn around, to turn your back on the sacrifice on uh, on the cross of Jesus and to call God a liar. So if you're asking, Lord, am I, am I following you? If you're sincere, rest assured that that is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is prompting you to repent. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. The Holy Spirit is asking you to, to test yourself if you're in the faith. You should really, really worry if you go on practicing sin and you don't care. If you're constantly living a lifestyle of sin and you don't care, that's when you should really worry because that tells me the Holy Spirit is not active in your life. So making a practice of sinning is when a person completely turns around and says, Lord, I'm going to indulge my sin as a lifestyle. I'm going to get good at what I do, at cunning people, at, 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 at you know, lying, cheating, stealing, not caring not being convicted, not yielding to the Holy Spirit. And that is my point that I hope you understand is if you sinned, that doesn't mean that you lost your salvation. A person, also with Spurgeon, a person said, you know what? I gave my life to the Lord eight years ago and I haven't sinned since. And Spurgeon said, oh, it can't be. And he says, no, 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 I'm perfect. I've been perfect for the last eight years. So it was Spurgeon just to 
just FYI, I don't know how true this story is, so just take it for, if it's an illustration, it's an illustration. But as far as I understand, it's Spurgeon who did this. So he took some water, a cup of water, and just like dunked it on, on, on the guy, and the guy just got so angry. <clears throat> so Spurgeon said, well, there goes eight years down the drain. Eight years of perfection down the drain. So the whole point is that even though we are in the house of God, even though we are his children, we will still struggle with sin. But as long as you haven't turned away from the sacrifice that can save you, which is what Jesus has done on the cross, you will be fine. Seek daily to be changed from one degree of glory to another. Seek daily to be sanctified and become more like Jesus. Seek daily for, for to be in his presence. How do you behold Jesus? By being in his presence. By seeing what he's doing around you. Seek daily the, 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 the gathering of believers. Seek daily to hear his word. Seek daily in prayer. Right? That is something that a lot of us, we go through our busy days and we, we maybe sometimes we, we think, well, you know, I'm going to give God my first 30 minutes. And I, I've never really, it never really stood well with me when people talked about how God is number one in their lives. Because I'm like, if you think about Jesus being number one, then you give Jesus 30 minutes in the morning at 6 a.m. and then you live however you want. I think a, a, a truer or a better under, uh, understanding of that is, is to put Christ at the center of everything that you do. If it's washing dishes that you Christ-like wash dishes and you exalt Christ in your washing of dishes, the way you treat others in your relationship, in your work, in your schooling, in your family, in every single thing that you approach, you don't look as God number one. Now, if that helps you, sure. But Jesus is the center of everything that we do. And as we spend time in his presence, I, I've never understood people spending three times in prayer and coming out worse. And they come out more angry than they went in. That happens. I've seen that happen. I would rather you spend your devotion, that's important, but pray the whole day in everything, not just, hey, I'm going to spend three hours praying, but then everything else is kind of however I want. Put Jesus at the center. Now, I have a few more things, and I'm going to call it to prayer here very shortly, but, you know, we come to this passage, so we're, we're told that we are his children. We are told that as we pursue him, we will be changing from one degree to another. When we see him, he will be fully transformed in the glimpse of an eye. We are told that those who know the Lord, they don't make a practice of sinning. And if you are making a practice of sinning, then most likely you're not of God. You are the of the enemy. And then we come to this verse that is so beautiful. It says, For this is the message, verse 11, that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why he murdered him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother, uh, brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abi abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. 
and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love the world. Or the, uh, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What a beautiful display of what God has done for us. Have you thought about this? The God of the universe on Christmas decided to leave all of that to become like one of us. And, and, and all of this is a culmination of the things before it. We, if we embrace his love, if we become part of the family, then we are able to extend his love. If we know our identity in him, then we don't have to be defined by what the world says about us. And by being in the house of God, by proclaiming his excellencies, we impact the world by his love flowing through us into the world. This Christmas season, I don't think we realize how important it is for us to keep our mind on Christ. Here's the thing. I know a lot of times we get so overwhelmed with gifts and presents. Oh, presents and gifts. Yeah. Relationships and parties and all of these things and lights and, you know, lattes and all of that. But, but think about what God has done for us. God did not have to create you and me, but he did. And when we messed up and we sinned, he didn't have to redeem us. But heaven went bankrupt, and God sent Jesus. He sent his son to die for you and me. And when Jesus left, he said, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I will give you a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will convict you, who will teach you, who will comfort you, who will restore, change, transform, heal you. God gives the best gifts. Because you see, the best gifts at Christmas is not the ones that are the most expensive. No, the best gifts are where the giver is the most sacrificial to fulfill the receiver's greatest need. And when it came to humanity, our greatest need was salvation. And God gave the greatest sacrifice to to give himself do you understand the humility that takes? The God of the universe. I mean, have you ever tried to put your shoe, I mean, your foot in a shoe that was way too small for you? It's extremely painful. I'll save you the pain. Don't do it. But how do you fit a God who created the universe who says the universe is in the crease of his hands, all that glory, and to a helpless baby? How do you fit all of that? How do you... How do you humble yourself to become like one of us and to wash the disciples' feet? Think about this. The God of the universe came and washed the disciples' feet. If you think that stacking up chairs after church is beneath you, the God of the universe came and he washed our feet. And then he was obedient unto death. Death on the cross was hung up in front of everyone naked and ashamed for you and me. That God, all of that glory into a human being that we might redeem, be redeemed. By this we know, love, that he laid 
down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I told you that we are in God's family. We are his sons and his daughters. I told you about how God cares for us. We are, he's, he's there rooting for us. He's constantly, you know, changing us, transforming us, restoring, healing, delivering us. But he also is calling you to become his hands, his feet, to take the love that you have received, to embrace his love and extend his love to those around you. I remember one time I received a bonus and and like I know I'm not going to get an, uh, a reward in heaven for this because I'm telling this story, but I think it's, it's a good story because it really impacted me. And <laughs> like I put this Craigslist ad saying, hey, if you don't have grocery, groceries for, for Thanksgiving, just let me know and I'll, I'll pay for a cart full of groceries. And this lady wrote me a huge like, like email saying, hey, I, I just, I hope you understand. I have two son, uh, two kids. I don't have anybody else, and I have no money for groceries whatsoever. So she shows up, shows, shows up at Walmart, fills up her whole cart with stuff. You know, it's like you can see she bought like milk and eggs and like the stuff that you normally would buy. And I just paid for the whole cart. And I'm telling you this, I know that I'm not going to get a reward, but like I'm just telling you this because I think that moment, it wasn't because I was good. I think it changed me in a way that I've never seen something change me before is to see the joy and she was crying and she was happy and she's like, you don't understand how much this means to me. I was wondering what am I going to do for my kids. And, and my encouragement to you, I'm, the, and the reason I'm telling this story is this Christmas, invite someone at your house that maybe doesn't have somebody. You know you are in God's house, but be that conduit of God's grace to somebody around you be your school or work. Extend, maybe, maybe this is not you or maybe hospitality is not your thing. Extend God's love to those who maybe have hurt you that you need to forgive. Extend God's love and mercy and grace because that was extended to you. Extend that to somebody else. And that is my whole point on this. Now, of course, I can't cover the whole chapter because it's a lot. I want to read the chapter in context but, but I, I want verse by verse, and I want to tell you that being in God's house, being his son, his daughter, comes with, with a certain level of privilege, but also because we are his, we become like him. And, and my hope is that our church is that place where people find healing, where they find restoration, where they come here and they say, okay, this is home. That is my hope for us and, and for all of you who came here. Now, my call for you for prayer is this, that if you are not a child of God, if you're wondering about that, come up to him in prayer and say, Lord, I, I need to get reassurance. Remind me of your love towards me, of your grace towards me, of your mercy. And if you are in the house, if you have made Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I encourage you to extend that to your family to people around you, your friends, your home, your work. And this Christmas season, 
because of what he's done for us, because he's laid his life down for us, that we might extend that and lay, lay our lives down for those who are around us, be it in word, in deed, in everything that we do, that we might be able to reach our community and love our community. Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes when I'm asked to minister at some church, a lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production, or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you can ask support me financially, I encourage you to pray. And if you can rate and review this podcast, thank you so much again and God bless. Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes, when I'm asked to minister at some church, a lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production, or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you can ask support me financially, I encourage you to pray and if you can rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much again and God bless.